Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we'll be discussing Desiree Akavan's drama, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, as well as hearing from Desiree Akavan herself. I'm Sam Howlett, and joining me this week, Stephen Ryder. Hello. And Kelly Powell. Shalom. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, now, I was going to make a joke, uh, but I can, you know, I can decide on three, so there was... Mispodication of Cameron Post. Miseducation of Podder and Post. <laughs> that's, that's the worst. Miseducation of Cameron Pod. That's the best. I yeah. think if we that's have to um, choose. The cleanest. Yeah. The, the mispodication of Podgem and Post. Mispodication of Podder and Pod. <laughs> um, <laughs> no one to stop. No. Too many pods. <laughs> also, what's really weird is that... Um, right, so me and Steven saw Con Air recently. Mm-hmm. At a cinema. No idea how you're going to link these two together. Ready? Yeah. So that film stars Nicolas Cage, does it not? It does. Yeah. Do you know what Nicolas Cage's character name is? It's not Cameron Poe. Cameron Poe. <laughs> <laughs> so close. I mean, The Which Miseducation of Cameron Poe would have been an amazing <laughs> film. An amazing film. Just let me be me. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, it would have been great. I mean, that the 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 Christian conversion camp wouldn't have lasted very long. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird name, anyway. Cameron Post. It was weird. So I just feel like it's I don't mm. know. Mm. Although they do mention, yeah. obviously, in Miseducation of Cameron Post, they do mention that Cameron is a very masculine That's name, true. which I'm not sure if it is. But uh, it can't, I mean, Cameron Poe is a very masculine character. So he is. you know, the most masculine character. The most, and I guess this film would have come out at the same time. The, the, the time the film is set in the mid-90s yeah. would have been when Con Air came out. So there's a lot of links there. There's a lot something of to unpack. <laughs> yeah, something to unpack for sure. Uh, let's talk about a bit about what the film is about then. Uh, Miseducation of Cameron Post stars Chloe Grace Moretz as Cameron Post, a young teenager growing up in the Bible Belt of America <laughs> in the mid-1990s. Uh, she lives with very conservative guardians, her aunt and uncle? or Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. Uh, and one day she is caught in a compromising position with another woman. And so her guardians send her to gay conversion therapy camp where she is uh, under the watchful eye of Reverend Rick, played by John Gallagher Jr. And yeah. the and the sinister Dr. Lydia March, <laughs> played by a very creepy Jennifer L. 
So before we listen to the interview with the writer-director Desiree Akavan, very quickly, what were your initial thoughts of this film and the miseducation of Cameron Post? I mean, so so headed into it, with it being a Sundance Grand Jury mm. winner, you kind yes. of have an expectation about what this film's going to be like. Um, past kind of hits at Sundance have all been... There's been a lot of good films that's come out of Sundance um, that have won the prize, but they've all had a very specific kind of tone to them and, um, you know, a very specific kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think going into it, I was a bit worried that it would just be a little bit along those lines and because of that be a bit dull. Um, and it does have, like, those Sundance fl- moments, so the Sundance flashes. It's very definitely colourful. Yeah, yeah, very colourful. Very it looks great. Um uh, it, but it, I think it manages to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that those films have come into contact with by not being overly twee, in my opinion. Yeah. I think mm. it, I think it kind of uh, is more real. It doesn't feel quite as forced as some of those other previous kind of Sundance Jury winners. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, very authentic and genuine film. Kelly Powell. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was authentic's a nice word. Um, really heartfelt. Um, Personal, you could tell it was a really personal film as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's hear from the film's writer and director then. Desiree Akavan made a name for herself with her directorial debut, which she also starred in, uh, Appropriate Behaviour. Uh, she's gone on to have a small part in the TV show Girls, and she also acts in a very weird Netflix film called Creep 2. Uh, have, you, have you guys seen the Creep films? Yeah, I, Mark... I actually mentioned Creep 2 to her in really? the interview at the start. Excellent. Yeah, Have you seen it? I, I have, yeah, I love it. I absolutely yeah. love them. I'm a big fan. They're so, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. phenomenally yeah. horrible and weird, but yeah. hilarious. Uh, check out Creep. So this is the first time she's directing without acting, I believe. Yes, uh, I think It's so. her second feature film. And Stephen had the pleasure to speak to her. So I am here today with Desiree Akavan, um, <laughs> director of uh, Miss Education of Cameron Post, Sundance Grand Jury winner, Miss Education of Cameron Post. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. It seemed like a long time ago now that that happened. A lifetime ago. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but to zoom out a little bit, um, my first interaction with your work was actually you as an actor in Creep 2, <laughs> um, which um, I actually found myself drawing a slight comparisons to Cameron Post in a very weird way. Very cool. Um, because obviously in Creep 2, uh, you play a character who does a YouTube kind of uh, mm-hmm. vlogger series about strange people, and you come across this guy who professes to be a serial killer. And because you see the work or his work through uh, kind of a female gaze, it kind of exposes him as a bit of a loser, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and- uh, yeah, did you find that it, you saw Aaron differently completely in the second film absolutely and it's he's got this vulnerability Mm, stop being scary like after a while um but then at the end did he get scary again yeah it got scary again at the end yeah that's really um, cool yeah it was it was it was really impressive and then uh, uh, last year I or earlier this year I read an article where you said that the only mainstream queer female stories have been told by men Mm -hmm. and that got me thinking that um with something like miseducation of Cameron Post again we see it through kind of a a, a woman's gaze and um, this idea of like mainstream and queer that you said is really interesting to me because sometimes those two things can clash together Mm -hmm. and I feel like Miseducation of Cameron Post what's so amazing about it is that it bridges that gap and do you feel the same way? Definitely without a doubt and I really hope it does I want to make mainstream films that touch a wide audience I grew up on blockbusters Mm -hmm. and short circuit and Mm -hmm. you know 
uh, the Brady Bunch, and I those films touched my life. I, I didn't have the luxury of going to the art house cinema and enjoying Truffaut and Godard until I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're, you know, the child of immigrants, you're shaped by what gets filtered down to you, and that's mainstream cinema, and all of that is told through a very heavily male gaze and I think films and work can be entertaining and female-centric. No I completely agree and and, and that's what I think there's a point in Miseducation of Cameron Post where I realized that you kind of nailed that where um, I took a look at all these characters in the first kind of 45 minutes of the film and I realized that the film could really be titled Miseducation of any of them, Miseducation of Jane Fonda, yes, yeah. like any of these characters they, they all seem to have such a rich backstory. But obviously Cameron is the main character and why do you think she works so well as kind of a center point to this film? Why is the story filtered through like her eyes? Because the book said so. <laughs> <laughs> well, even in the book, it's, like why, yeah. why do you think they positioned her? Well, yeah, well to be fair, the film is based on a book of the same title mm-hmm. and uh, which is a fantastic cheat sheet. I think the thing that I loved about the book and it was difficult to translate because it's told, you know, through her inner dialogue, which mm-hmm. was that Cameron was hilarious and just like anybody, she she was so honest and typical, and her mediocrity and all, you know, she was in extraordinary circumstances, but just a normal kid. And I wanted this to feel like just any normal kid's story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a hard thing to communicate without a voiceover and we definitely didn't want to utilize a voiceover in this adaptation and what we were lucky with um, casting Chloe Moretz in this role was that she can really live in a close-up without any dialogue. She's someone who can communicate a lot in a close-up. She's all eyebrows, right? All eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) No. God, there were huge issues with the eyebrows too because (laughs) the Chloe likes them thick and the makeup artist was like, in the 90s, we had them thin. But I always felt like, you know, as a lesbian, she would not have allowed anyone to come near her with the tweezers. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there are moments in the film you said about her being so hilarious and so normal. And the bit that uh, I instantly connected with her was in the group therapy session where um, somebody says, I take one look at you and I can tell you're a dyke. And instead of being offended, she just bursts out laughing. And I was like, because I laughed exactly the same time as her. (laughs) I was like, oh, I get get who she is now. Like you get her immediately. And I think Chloe does an excellent job of kind of- She um, gets the absurdity of the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Chloe does as well. And that's why the performance is so kind of- fantastic and why it pulls you in and did you always have her in mind from the start or was it quite a nope was it did it change during the casting then we had nobody in mind I wanted to discover someone for that role Mm. um and we held auditions for a long time and I never found anybody that I felt was right and then just as I was about to fly back because I live in London and we were prepping in New York and we hadn't been greenlit yet because we hadn't found our cast and just as I was getting ready to book a flight home um, I heard that Chloe Moretz wanted to meet and I was shocked I did not think the reason I hadn't thought of her was because we didn't think this was the kind of stuff she'd be interested in to us to me she was a studio darling and then when I heard she was interested, I was instantly really excited by the idea because she was someone who had such a princessy persona. Mm-hmm. And Cameron is has got none of that. 
she's you know through and through a lesbian with swagger Mm -hmm. who steals the hearts of most of the girls who meet her and is also quite introverted Mm -hmm. whereas chloe is someone who with all these films was was you know definitely had the persona of the clouds of sils maria you know starlet yeah with the big hair and the the pretty blonde ingenue yeah yeah and i thought what cool casting is that to watch that girl carry a sex scene yeah um with another girl where she's the top and you know to me cameron was a love letter to all the women i've loved Mm -hmm. uh and i I like them butch so (laughs) (laughs) that's so great that you get to to make a character that's kind of full of all these different people that you've met in your life though and it shows it certainly shows um and Going back to what you said about the the eyebrows in the 90s, um, I did want to ask you, so there are a lot of filmmakers at the moment who are looking at the past in order to kind of expose the present. Obviously, Black Klansman has just come out. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Spielberg did it last year with The Post. Um, is there a, like, apart from the film, the book being set in the 90s, is there a reason that you felt that this story is belongs in the 90s? It was really important to me that they were as isolated as possible and that they had no image of anything gay in mm-hmm. the mainstream, mm-hmm. which was the case in the 90s. I think with the internet, yes, these places still exist. Yes, it's very hard to grow up right now, queer, but at the same time, there's at least the concept or the idea of something gay out there yeah um this is a time pre ellen degeneres yeah which you know it's weird is that time ever exist i know <laughs> exactly i do ask myself that quite often but like 25 years ago is not that long ago and yet the landscape of what it was to be gay was to choose to live life as a second-class citizen in such a dramatic way and also for these kids, I thought it was really important that they had no link to the outside world. I think young people are really empowered right now with yeah. technology, mm-hmm. and I didn't want that for this story. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would have completely changed it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, no doubt. Um, so when you ended up looking at the scene with, uh, where Chloe uh, or Cameron dances on the mm-hmm. kitchen top, um, you got the chance to kind of slip the breeders in there, which I love, by the way, because they're one of my favorite bands. So it was so nice to hear them kind of name checked. Um, And I remember you talking recently that that scene with Chloe dancing on the kitchen top was actually filmed on a pretty dark day in America's history. Uh, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we shot in upstate New York Mm -hmm. and Midway through the shoot, the American elections took place, and it was such a shock to all of us because we were really excited. I remember our um, one of our producers threw a huge party. There were red, white, and oh, blue wow. balloons everywhere. Yeah. Uh, there was an ice cream sundae bar. <laughs> Uh, the staple of any uh, presidential exactly. celebration. Yeah. <laughs> um, that morning at breakfast, he was like, you know what? I can't believe I get to raise my girl in a country with a female president. Mm-hmm. And I felt very nervous when I heard him say that. Because mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, I hope so. Mm-hmm. But as the night wore on, it became really clear the country we were about to get. And that next day, it, the only thing I could make it akin to was... September 11th Mm -hmm. and I'm born and raised in New York. So Mm -hmm. the city after the day after September 11th 
was very post-apocalyptic. Yeah. I remember because my dad drove me in. We lived in the suburbs, but I went to school in the Bronx and school was canceled. But I was a theater nerd and mm-hmm. I really wanted to see the producers. And I was like, this will be a good opportunity to see that sold out Broadway show that I love so much. <laughs> this is actually September 13th. You got to find those silver linings. Oh really, my God. Yeah, yeah. That I insisted on waiting in line outside mm-hmm. for five hours to get standing room tickets to mm-hmm. go see the producers <laughs> is a real sign of the kind of teenager I was. Yeah. <laughs> that I was determined to see every Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Mel Brooks fan. So there, but I, as we were in this driving in the city, um, it was, there was just no one on the streets and everyone you saw, there was just this communal mourning. And that was definitely what we felt on set. And it's funny, my dad said something to me when he dropped me off that day, I was 17 and my dad's from Iran and he's experienced war and Mm -hmm. he's been through a lot. And I told him, you know, it's funny that you're going to just drop me off in Times Square. Two days ago, there was a terrorist attack in the same city you think he'd be overprotective yeah Yeah. i was like being the iranian daddy you are Mm -hmm. and being your princess Mm -hmm. why are you doing this Mm -hmm. i'm just surprised not to bite the hand that feeds me but explain it and he was like desi if you live in fear you die a little every day Mm -hmm. but if you keep moving forward you only die once and yeah that kind of reminds me of the scene with um, where, where one of the characters in Cameron Post talks about when you're strongest when you were weak. Yeah. Um, saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. Like, you, when you get over that fear, you know, that's when you become your kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. strongest. When you yeah. like look into the eye of the storm. Yeah, that's I mean, amazing. unfortunately, he's saying it during a complete emotional breakdown. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Dad um, said it during one of his better moments. <laughs> um, but what was interesting about that, the juxtaposition of those two... Uh, experiences of communal mourning in my life was you know many years later I found myself at the helm of a of a film set Mm -hmm. while we were all horrified Mm -hmm. and terrified and just everybody was a shell of themselves and just sobbing I cannot begin to articulate the fear that we were all experiencing and then all those fears came true it was it's funny because my brother was like you know what he's a social liberal like he's a new yorker it's just all an act to get in the office and then immediately the the muslim ban yeah yeah it was just instantly every single fear we had was Mm -hmm. was there but um i looked at my crew and i i told them i was would rather be here than anywhere in the world and it was true i was really grateful to be on set making something and not just dying by myself that day and so we had to shoot the most um, joyful moment in the whole film, which is when Cameron comes kind of stoned at this point, and happy with her friends. She has friends for the first time in her life who she can be honest with. And she jumps on a table and starts singing uh, Four Non Blondes mm-hmm. is What's Up and is just goofy and silly. And it's Cameron's a really introverted character who never gets out of her shell. And yeah. she's a lot, quite opaque at moments. And this is one of the, the most lighthearted and clear glimpses into her that you see. And it's a real testament to Chloe Moretz. She was the only... And Chloe Moretz who campaigned for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, a testament to her youth that she was, she was just there and focused and ready to play like it's great it works out so well but we took a break in the middle of shooting that scene so we did a we had to do a lot of takes because it was a mess that day and everyone was a mess and so chloe jumps on the table we get it from all different angles so she had to jump on the table and sing at the top of her lungs about 
25, 30 times in the course of like six hours. And um, we took a a break in the middle of that morning Mm -hmm. to watch Hillary Clinton's concession speech. Yeah, yeah. And Chloe came back even stronger. I mean, that was her. That's so great. I mean, it's the it's the kind of there's the film for me ends on a very triumphant note, and it was uh, it was bittersweet because I kind of I wanted to stick around with these characters. So I guess we've we've not got long left, but I guess I just wanted to ask you. Of course, there's no sequel to Cameron Post, but do you think you have that American road movie in you somewhere? You know, because I feel like when they're driving in that car, the way it's shot, the way the cold kind of whole atmosphere is, you know, it would have been great. Uh, yeah, there's a real be- like sexy beauty to a road movie. I don't think I have it in me because I hate being on the road. <laughs> I think that you have to be your films. Yeah. And I like deeply do not enjoy being on the road. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there is a sequel to this film and mm. Sasha's in it. It's called American Honey. <laughs> they start selling magazines for Shia LaBeouf. That's what I think happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been great to see Cameron in the background of that. <laughs> a fate worse than death. <laughs> well, thank you. Shia LaBeouf. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a lovely conversation. Thank you and, for uh, having me. Yeah, I really, hope, uh, I really hope that the next uh, movie you, you bring out has the same kind of impact as Cameron Post. Thank, thank you so you. much. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Miss Education and Cameron Post then. I want to talk about Chloe Grace Moretz first. Uh, She's in almost pretty much every scene. She's in seems like she's in every shot of the film mm-hmm. uh, it's very much her film and it's i think she's someone that has a weird uh reputation in the film industry i think people think i think people sort of think of her as someone who started out in these kind of slightly edgier films like she did kick ass and then she did stuff like she did the, uh, let me in the remake of let the right one in but i think some people mistake her for like a sort of a tween like a kind of glamorous hollywood actress that does these kind of in the in the Selena Gomez, yeah, but I don't think she's that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually looking at her filmography. She's actually done really interesting stuff most of the time. She's she was in Hugo, the Scorsese film. Mm-hmm. I know it's not a great film, but she was in Dark Shadows, the Tim Burton film. Uh, uh, she was in the Carrie remake. Uh, she was in The Clouds of Sils Maria briefly. Oh really? She was I in The Equalizer. She was in Bad Neighbors Two, which I know is a brash lad comedy, but I think it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in general she's made good choices and we're going to be seeing her in Suspiria uh, later this year. Mm. Um, but what did you make of her in this film? And what do you make of how this sort of moves her career along? I think that um, it's possibly the the best thing I've seen. Uh, she, uh, she's I think she's peaking at the moment. Like 
I've, she's brilliant in this film. Mm-hmm. She's so believable, just really, really good in it. I think I, I think that there was a risk for her to, to do this film. Um, but I think you spoke to uh, Desiree about it, about her being really passionate about doing mm-hmm. this project. Yeah, she, she was the one that sought <coughs> out the script. Yeah, because Desiree I think... wanted to do a, um, an unknown, put an unknown in the cast. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think that the reason... Chloe works so well. I think you can tell. I think you can tell that she's comfortable working with this director for one. Mm. I think she's comfortable doing um, things that she wants to do with this character that she mm. hasn't been told to do yeah, by exactly. Desiree. Yeah. Because there's, there's some, yeah, there, yeah, there's some stuff in this film that's far too subtle and too too authentic. To, yeah, exactly. To be directed. Um, so it was a it was a great collaboration yeah, between director sure. and lead. Um, yeah, I think that that uh, she's just really fantastic mm. in it. She's so. Uh, you feel sorry for her, but you also think you also there's a there's a fire there's a fire behind yeah. her eyes as well. You never feel you never feel like she's gonna um, break, fall apart or yeah, break exactly. down, like which makes you like get behind her even more. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, I think that if, for, for Chloe Grace Moretz, she's she's still a very. She, it seems like she's been around forever. Yeah, um, she's still really really young. She's only twenty one years old. Yeah, and. Um, to to be making a film like this at 21 for any other actress would be this like huge undertaking and mm. like I think that if this wasn't unknown mm. and they had given this performance we'd be looking at it as this huge big breakout performance of like a new star mm. because it's Chloe Grace Moretz I think people expect this of her now and that's a little bit unfair because she puts everything into this mm. and it comes out as a really re- it's it is a subtle performance in a lot of ways but mm. it's a really really good one. Mm. Um, you said something really interesting there about how she's not we don't often see her in turmoil in the film maybe a handful of scenes but and it's not fair to compare it to the film it's not out yet but we've got another film about gay conversion therapy camp called Boy Erased coming out mm. um, with Lucas Hedges and that's got like Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman as his parents one directed by Joel Edgerton that's it yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think, think I think Desiree's actually mentioned that she finds it amazing that that got greenlit so easily um, mm. whereas the lesbian drama right. didn't mm. get greenlit so easily well I think that one and like I say you know I haven't seen that film yeah. uh, but I think that one looks that looks very serious and very grave and very emo- emotionally taut mm. and very Oscar-y and very mm. big performance Russell mm-hmm. Crowe and Nicole Kidman and mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, I mean, it's more about his relationship with his parents than it is about him in the camp. But like I said, I haven't seen it, but that's just what you yep. can tell from the trailer and how the yeah. film's being marketed and when the film's being released as well. Mm-hmm. This film tonally is so interesting because um, mm. it's it's almost it's very it's, it's you know it's first and foremost a drama, it's, but it's also got comedy elements. Yeah, um, and there's you know not horror, but there's something kind of sinister and creepy about certain characters in the film. Uh, there's this underlying sense, but then, but it is also, you know, very, it's very bright, it's very colourful. It's irreverent as well. I mean, they're they're teenage, they're yeah. teenagers, and you can feel that, you know. Yeah. Like, mm. It's not all like, you know, doom and gloom, and they're dealing with this yeah. their sexual identity, and it's got to be so depressing and downtrodden, and they actually have this gleeful, youthfulness to, the... to it as well. Like they're exploring who they are. As yeah. Well. At the same time, and it's interesting that you say there's a sinister element. There is one character. Yeah, you know, I think the, it's just that one character. It's just, yeah. but I think that like what she does. So what I what I really appreciated about this film is that nobody is evil per se. Mm. There's no like outward antagonist um, that they have to sort of overcome. It's just I think it's just it, she does such a good job of showing how people act out of fear and ignorance, um, and you almost feel as sorry for those people as you know you might do mm. for the kids that are put in this situation. Mm. 
Um, and I think that, that there's, there's a compassion and understanding that comes with that kind of outlook. Um, that, you know, um, the, the camp counselor, what's his name? Rick. Rick. Reverend, Reverend Rick. Rick. Yeah. My favorite character in the film. I yeah, think. he. Yeah. Oh, I really like that yeah. actor. Um, mm. I think that he's great. Uh, and he does also such a good job of playing this... You can see it's a performance that he's putting on that he, he doesn't necessarily believe what he's saying because he's, you find out later on, I don't think this is a spoiler, but you find out later on that he uh, overcame <laughs> his same-sex attraction himself. Same-sex attraction. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that it's, it's, it is a tenderness to the way that she treats her characters, mm. and I, I appreciate that. Mm. Well, she's not. She's not stupid. She knows if she goes into this film and um, portrays these people as evil, then people who already um, that gives the people who already believe in conversion therapy ammo to say, "Well, we're not like that." Yeah. Mm. That that's ridiculous. That's an over the top performance. Like these people, because they're so real. Mm. I don't think there's any way you can really argue that the kind of emotional turmoil that they put these kids through is a very very real thing. Um, yeah. And. Mm. And and the the thing about the the thing about the the comedy in the film as well, um, in relation to this kind of the darkness in it too, is that there there's a, there comes a point like a quarter of the way into the film where you stop seeing the film as being about queer teenagers and you start seeing the film as just being about teenagers. Yeah, because there are so yeah. many varied characters in this movie mm. that they don't fit any stereotypes. Um, her roommate Erin, mm. like um, the. Uh, Jane Fonda, Sasha Lane's character, mm. the the girl who likes to sing karaoke. Yeah. Oh, They're yeah. all so varied and different, yeah, yeah. and I think that's so mm. key for this. Forrest Goodluck as well, Adam. Yeah. He's great. He's a a character great. that I loved, but I don't, I've, I've not quite got my head around. Uh, you in, know. So interesting. Yeah, so, so, so interesting. interesting. Yeah. And and if when I watch the movie again, I'm going to be watching him mm. because he's, some of the things that he says and some of the the, the way that he acts sometimes is is fascinating, mm. and he is so so different to anybody else in that yeah. in that group. Mm. Um, and I just think that that varied nature of the characters means that it 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 does the reason it's so bright and it's not going to be like Boy Erased is because this is a mainstream film. This is a this is a film that is not out there to appeal to kind of Oscar audiences. I think Desiree Akhavan mm. wants this film to appeal to everyone. Yeah, everyone, yeah. including mm. most importantly. 16 year old girls mm. and boys mm. that might be dealing with these kind of problems yeah. because then they get to see themselves represented on screen as not mm. you know completely depressed broken people yeah you know which is great yeah mm. when we saw it there was an introduction by Desiree Kavan and uh, Chloe Grace Moretz and they spoke a bit about how the film is authentic and that the uh the lesbian sex scenes were important to them to mm. get them right and to get, yeah. have, their, you know, have real truth in them <clears throat> and I think it's interesting what yeah. you're saying that would boy race get made if it was about uh, a young girl rather than a young mm -hmm. boy um, well, specifically from a female perspective mm -hmm. as well you know like I think that they, they mentioned this in their introduction that they're, they're really uh, proud of the fact that they're yeah. all female sort of team leading this, this project and um, you know authentic in the sense that like the director is a you know bisexual mm -hmm. woman who has experience with these things and she yeah. her perspective is very much of that realm yeah, you know that's true it's very true um i i think that <coughs> i think that it's a testament to desiree as a director that she doesn't just uh, of course cameron's the main character and you can kind of tell why she's the main character because she's kind of an everyman in a way or an every woman 
in yeah, the Yeah, she's know. just about not Juno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If she yeah, was yeah. if she had a little few more one liners, yeah. she'd be a very Juno esque character. Yeah, but she's not, she's quite reserved. Yeah. And she's she's a good listener and a good like she 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 definitely looks at everything around her and takes it in before mm. she makes decisions mm. and that's very important to her being a central character. Mm. But it's a testament to Desiree Ekvan um and her partners writing on this that characters like Reverend Rick um get given kind of almost as much time to expose themselves as a character mm. and and the fact that he the fact that that Cameron for me isn't the most sympathetic character in the film even mm. though she's the young girl that's yeah. been sent to the gay conversion camp mm. is um really really sad to watch Reverend Rick not have the kind of personality that Cameron has to escape from mm. this kind of thing um and I think that's a testament to, to Desiree uh, as, yeah. as to like she's not going to let this film become uh, Cameron's eulogy or any of these other kids' mm. eulogy. She wants it to be, you know, a, a, a triumphant film. Mm. But she's still going to look at this character, Reverend Rick, and say, "This is what happens when you don't yeah. escape. When you mm. don't have the support." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like, uh, and being a uh, character of action rather than passivity. Mm -hmm. <coughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's the Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is out in cinemas today. If you have any thoughts on the Miseducation of Cameron Post, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon com or reaching out to us on Twitter at Curzon Cinemas. It's not the only film out this week, though. Uh, Bart Layton's American Animals is also out, and if you're interested, we have another podcast out today as well where we discuss American Animals, and you can hear from the director himself, Bart Layton. And also on Curzon Home Cinema, you can still watch uh, the five-star masterpiece Cold War. Incredible film. Do check it out. It's very, very short. You could watch it so many times over the weekend if you wanted to. And you can listen to our podcast on that as well. We did a few weeks ago where we spoke to the film's actors, Yuasha Kulig and Thomas Cott. That is it from the Curzon podcast this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's goodbye from Stephen. Goodbye. And goodbye from Kelly. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.